0: Welcome to episode 9 of Smuggling Hope, encouraging your priests and clergy. He who wishes for anything but Christ does not know what he wishes. He who asks for anything but Christ does not know what he's asking. He who works and not for Christ does not know what he is doing. Let no one wear a mask, otherwise, he will do ill. And if he has one, let him burn it. St. Philip Neary. In 1549, Francis Xavier landed in Japan, and he started to bring missionary work. And people began to be converted rapidly. It was almost as if that Japan was the most ripe place for conversion, perfectly prepared for Christ to be brought to these people. But then something turned, and in 1614, uh, Japan outlawed Christianity. During the Edo period, and put to death all of the priests, bishops, missionaries, all Christians who were still practicing in order to escape death, tried to apostatize by stepping on an image of of our Lord or the Blessed Mother, as made famous in the, the, the book Silence and uh, um, subsequent movie. Right. Then, you know, so in. in, in From 1614 to 1873, no masses were held, no priests entered Japan, no missionaries entered Japan. As far as anybody was concerned, the faith should be thought of as dead. I mean, after all, there were no priests, no religious, no mass, no confession, nothing for almost 300 years. And so after the the ports were opened again for missionary work, this time instead of the Jesuits who had had their go of it, the Franciscans returned. And they reached the shores of Japan, and to their surprise, they they thought they would find no one, they thought they would be starting from scratch, but instead they found over 5,000 underground Christians waiting to hear Mass, confessions, receive the sacraments. So how did they do it? No priests. No missionaries. Families are the ones that kept it alive. It was the laity. It was the responsibility of the laity and the family to preserve the truth of the faith and the gospel. And how did they do it? They prayed the rosary. The rosary is what allowed them to keep on meditating on the gospels. And in their families, they waited with anticipation and talked about the men in black that would come from the west and someday bring Jesus. And they told generations of children that became grandparents and onward, waiting for Christ to return, the men in black to return from the West. And so again, people were just waiting for our Lord to return, but but no priests for 300 years. And so the first thing is that the good news is that the church always survives because it is animated by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is calling more and more heavily uh, to, for the laity to return to be responsible for their prayer life and their state of their soul. Now, the good news for all of the, the the men of faith and the priests who are listening to this podcast is that the burden is being placed back, rightfully so, on the the laity to uphold their own call to holiness. For too long, lay people and especially in the united states have relied on their priests to be the sole sacrificial offering given to god it's their sacrifice that that we've been looking to we've become very lazy we've expected that these men these 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 men who have signed up to serve our lord that they will be by themselves sufficient uh as the whole community of faith and that's just never the case that's completely erroneous and so we've looked to priests we've looked to priests to, in many ways, form our children. We've looked for priests to, uh, you know, uh, make up for what was lacking in our own personal prayer life. And instead, you know, we've been very much, uh, you know, shocked maybe by some of the scandals of the church, but more so, you know, people of faith have, have been dwindling dramatically, right? In Buffalo, where I live, the ratio, I do believe, is about nine to one for every one person that joins the faith. About nine people leave the church. Um, that is not the case everywhere. I do believe the, the going rate is seven to one. Uh, we just have it a little bit, uh, you know, uh, more intensely here. But the good news is, is that the burden cannot be any more pushed on or put upon the priests. There's just not enough of them, you know, and we have uh, the responsibility for our prayer life is our own. It's, it cannot be put on. A priest to make sure my child is formed in their religion and their faith. It needs to be formed at home. It needs to be formed in the family. The family is the cell of society. Remember, it cannot be just you know, thought about that the priest is going to do all of the work and all the heavy lifting. Now, an analogy I like to use is that of like a personal trainer. And in this analogy, the priest would be like the personal trainer taking me to the gym and working me through a series of exercises. So they go up to the rowing machine, and then they do push-ups, and they do pull-ups, and they go on the exercise bike. And after our time is complete, they look over at me, and I'm just sitting there, you know, drinking my iced coffee or whatever it is. And they're drenched in sweat from all the exercises. And they ask, well, you know, how was this for you today? Do you feel fulfilled? Do you feel, like, you know, stronger? And maybe I'll say yeah. But I did nothing. He did all the work and that's where we're at. We have a lot of men um, you know, that have uh, pledged to be uh, our, our Lord's priests, and yet they are doing the work um, that we needed to participate in. That laity needs to learn how to sacrifice. We cannot, we, we cannot try to shirk our responsibility any longer. Uh, we don't want to get disabled or weaker spiritually and that's one of the problems we have so the pendulum has to swing the other way laity has to become holy again because vocations all come from the family so in my conversation with you today i want to bring people through four saints and give us a path of how to both encourage priests and for the priests themselves to reflect on these saints in this time of difficulty in transition in their priesthood, um, if they are being shifted around or they are not getting support from their leadership in the diocese that they're positioned in, or they just feel very discouraged. And it's important to remember that if you are feeling discouraged, whether you are a priest, a bishop, or if you are a a lay person listening that wants to support your priest, remember, discouragement comes from pride. This is Christ's church. It is animated by the Holy Spirit, and and that's why it exists. It doesn't exist because people are wonderful. It doesn't exist because people are magic. It exists because God wills it to be so. So the first saint I want to begin with is the one I quoted in the beginning, St. Philip Neary. And, And Philip Neary lived in a time where um, it was there was some rampant corruption in Rome and um, the majority of clergy there were not interested in their vocations and obviously the, there was a lot of reasons to be disheartened. And yet Philip Neri is known as the patron saint of joy. You know a very humorous saint, a man who in many ways took very uh, very, very many things um, with a light heart. And one day, Philip Neri was asked, you know, why is it that you are not troubled with all of the issues of the church and the the, the clericalism and all this corruption? And and Philip Neri stopped, and for you know once and maybe you know uh, many many uh, moments of his his funny life, it was very serious, and said, "There's only one thing that is of of need of importance, and that is the salvation of souls." And so. Philip Neary, you know, focuses on the development of humility, and that is one of the reasons why he has the gift of humor. If you think about humor, humor comes from that word humility, the the ability to access the truth and present it in such a way as to hopefully draw us into a greater sense of freedom and lightheartedness. But we need to have humility, humility so that we can rely on God, humility so that we in many ways can be dependent on him. There is a movement to greater dependency on God, not dependency on the self. And I I see a lot of people discouraged and trying to depend on themselves, their own merits, or their own actions, or they feel they must save the church, or they must criticize other members of the clergy, or even the papacy. And a lot of this is, I think, dangerous in the grounds that it goes against charity, and once it goes against charity, you lose everything, Right. And so we, we need to cultivate humility and we have to focus on on what it is that is important and drawing people back to Jesus Christ. And the point of this this episode of podcast for the the, the people listening is really to draw people to that, because that is the essential feature, you know, is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That the, the goal is not to raise money. The goal is not to have Catholic schools, you know, resume. The goal is not to save your diocese or your keep buildings open or schools open or church buildings. Or, you know, it is to draw people to the, 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 the God man, to re- draw people to Jesus Christ. And we need to have humility. We need to see that the spiritual life is serious, but we are ridiculous, as Philip Neary understood. And we need to be serious about the salvation of souls beginning with our own, and call ourselves to uh, an intense uh, intensity of prayer life, uh, because as the enemy operates, it is anything but Jesus Christ, and any religion but Roman Catholicism. That is how the enemy operates. And so many people are distracted and discouraged, Um, from the the things that are very important. So St. Philip Neary, a man with a sense of uh, humor because of his great humility, dependency on God, and clarity of focus. And so as you listen to this and you think about this is what is it that is most important? Is it the business meeting? Is it pleasing other people? Remember, Neary wasn't concerned about the other people so much because his audience was God. And you'll find the same for all the saints we cover. They're not concerned their audience isn't the bishop or their 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 clergy or pleasing the person in church that gives the most money to the diocese their goal their goal is to please almighty god and they understand that by spending time in prayer now the second saint i want to invite into the conversation to help shed light on how to handle a lot of these discouragements and to help our, our priestly brothers navigate this bizarre uh, you know season of the church and uh, you know time of evil and for those of you who are seeking deeper Holiness reflect on the life of st. Mother Teresa of Calcutta and uh, And a story comes to mind about her and as she started the missionaries of charity the sisters of charity You know that there came a time where as they created the rule of life the sisters came to mother and they said mother this, this, this uh, adoration in the morning, this time with the Blessed Sacrament is too much. We have too much to do. We have too many sick, too many dying, too many children that are starving on the street. We don't have enough time to spend an hour in adoration. It's just not possible. And to that complaint that her sisters brought to her, Mother Teresa just said, You're right. We need three hours of adoration. And so the sisters then continued their work now, but they did it with three hours of adoration. Why? Well, because we don't decrease in prayer, we increase in prayer. Why? Because we need, like St. Philip Neri recognized, we have to have a dependency on God. Nobody can do this work. If you're serious about your priesthood, if you're serious about whatever your vocation is, if you're serious about trying to pursue holiness, you need to you know prioritize your relationship with God. And if you don't have a holy hour, I would encourage you tremendously to get one. I think it is probably one of the most transformable experiences that people can have because the power comes from God. It doesn't come from, you know, intellect. It doesn't come from worldly knowledge. It doesn't come from charisma. It comes from Almighty God. And he can give it to you, whether it's in your priestly vocation, whether it's in your marriage, whether you're a lay person called to, you know, uh, Operate in the world through the holy hour, the time spent with God uninterrupted. And and again, don't expect ecstasies. Expect that you will change. And expect that there will be hopefully more of you disappearing and more of Jesus being revealed in your daily life. Now, one of the things that Mother Teresa also does, though, is she understands the priorities that are set up in order for her to accomplish her mission. Every person listening to this show recognizes, hopefully, that you have some form of mission, whether you're uh, you know, a priest in the diocese, whether you're a bishop, whether you're a layperson, but whatever you're trying to do, you're going to need to have specific uh, ways, uh, specific behaviors that support that end, right? You're not going to be able to be very effective if you don't take care of your body and you don't get enough sleep and you don't eat correctly or you don't socialize with people who build you up. You don't spend time in prayer and you don't you don't cultivate hobbies or things that you're passionate about that help to integrate your psyche and integrate your your, your being. If you don't have priorities, you will be off balance. For many years I thought that priorities I'm, I'm sorry balance I thought related to just a checkbox of well did you exercise and did you sleep correctly and you know the, the truth is is those behaviors always flow from an understanding of your prioritization so I would encourage you as you reflect on the life of Mother Teresa and again she is just one saint but we could turn the microscope on any saint uh, is that we, we need to think about what are the priorities in your life what are the things that really need to happen in order for you to be successful in your priestly formation, in your in your vocation as a as a, a man of God in that way, in the persona Christi? Uh, you know, if you are a lay person, what are the priorities that you need to put into practice so that you can, you know, be successful in your vocation? Um, But so figure out what those priorities are and then figure out when you're going to achieve what it is that you say is important. Because if there's not a space, right, if you don't tell your time, you know, know, where to go in terms of, you know, you don't schedule these things, you're going to go through your week and you're going to wonder what you did with all your time. So make sure that you are prioritizing. And not everything that is urgent is a priority. And not everything that is a priority is actually urgent, right? Oh, I can always make my holy hour. Well, maybe, but then it hasn't happened, right? I can always, you know, uh, exercise, but then it doesn't happen, and now our health has fallen into decay. You know, I can always visit my family, but then all of a sudden, like, you know, unfortunately a family member, a sibling, a parent passes away, and now we can't visit them. So prioritize the things that are of value. Realize that you are an asset, that you are important. know and you are essential you know and and so a lot of times i think we we uh, get into this temptation in christianity there's a temptation to being selfless right being selfless which the devil offers people by you know the you know this whole idea of being a martyr we must do everything for everybody and be selfless and sacrifice our sleep and sacrifice everything it's almost as if like we have to just empty ourselves completely of everything and Although that is, in many ways, what we're called to do, we don't do it in the way that is of a uh, proper order. Um, and so the one temptation is to be selfless. The other temptation is to be, you know, selfish, which most people are averse to, right, to think only about themselves. And so the devil always gives us two temptations. And so on either side of the pole, you have selfishness or selflessness, but neither one will make you a vehicle for, for, for in- increasing sacrifice. You need what we would call positive discipline or these, these constructive habits that fill you up in relationship to your vocation, that make you a whole person so that you can you know, spend your life in service of God, but you just can't spend things you don't have. Then you go into debt and you got problems. And so we need to fill ourselves up with deliberate activities that give us uh, ful- uh, fullness of life. You know, because we can't give what we don't have in that classical sense, and so uh, increasing in these behaviors that enable what I I term self-fullness, this fullness of self. Right? I have spent time with our Lord. I've spent time with people who care me, my 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 fraternity of brother priests, or my friends, or my family. I've done things that have helped me to feel both confident and human and humble, but not necessarily. You know, filled me with pride, but given me a sense of delight. Helped me to touch upon God in a natural way. You know, all of these things are important, right, for us to be well-ordered. We do not want to be ordered towards the self. We do need to be ordered towards God and, yet, you know, and to, to care for the self. So think about getting your priorities in order. As you do that, that will assist you in creating a unity of spirit. And con- collecting yourself so that you can share your life with other people. Now, the third saint is Saint John Vianney. Saint John Vianney, uh, you know, obviously the the mystic and the cure of ours in France. And Saint John Vianney was a uh, a man who, in many ways, uh, the the you know was was seen as in some ways un- unfit to be a priest. They they were concerned that he, you know, his intellect lacked the capacity to really you know, uh, be effective. Right. So they threw him basically out into the, you know, the furthest reaches of the diocese where he was, you know, to people who, and for the most part were far from God, but they were very simple and country people. And they, uh, you know, they thought that, well, St. You know, they thought that John wouldn't, uh, Father John Vianney wouldn't um, do too much damage out there. Right. And what he did, though, was as, as saints do. He began to continue to grow in holiness and co- convert himself. And and uh, you know, one of the big things you know that uh, John Vianney is known for in many ways is is the the gift of confession and and a reflection of his sanctity in daily life. And one of my favorite stories of him is that when he had gone to ours. <clears throat> And he had said mass in the evening, the teenage boys of the town, they wanted to har- harass him. They wanted to scare him. And so in in the winter after he had said mass in the evening, they snuck back to where his uh, priestly uh, you know uh, cottage was where his, his his rectory would be his his home in the in the woods. And they snuck back to the, the back behind his home before he got there and they planned to spook him by, like, screaming through his basic kitchen window. And so they waited for the holy man, the holy saint, to come back to his residence. And um, they watched him walk into the, the, um, you know, the kitchen, and he sat down and lit his lamp, and he started to sit down to pray. And the boys all jeered, and they were going to yell out and spook him. But just as they were about to do that, there was a giant knock at the door of John Vianney's house, and they looked through the kitchen window over the saint's shoulder and they could see him answer the door. And this splendid man dressed as a king, adorned with jewels and with a servant, brought in like a giant package of food and delicacies you know that they'd never seen before as peasant kids. And so their mouths watered and John Vianney sat there conversing with this king. And, and so the boys were like, "Well, we've got to get some of that food." And so they ran around as fast as they could to the other side of the, the cottage to, to uh, you, know, uh, you know, to, to kind of you know get get their own fill of the food. And so they got to the door. and John Vianney answered the door and they said, "Where is he? Where is the food? Where is Where is the king that was here? That man that was visiting you? And John Vianney said, I don't know what you boys are doing. It's it's wonderful that you've stopped by. I was just having my 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 sip my supper, and um, and and saying my evening prayers with our Lord, and um, they looked over and all he had was a simple piece of bread and some cheese, and and uh, and they were shocked. And the reason why I bring this story up, though, is that people need to see your hidden life, reflected, your hidden life with Christ reflected in. The the uh the sacramental gifts that you give, right? We need to see God. As laity, we need from our priests to see God when we see you say the mass. We need you to have that hidden relationship with God, because even though it's hidden, it will come through. We will see Christ. We need to see Christ, we want to see Christ. It's not that you know, you know, people want holiness, maybe maybe more now than people realize. But we we need to have that, that hidden life. People need to have that hidden life with Jesus Christ because that will come across. It will come across on the altar. It will come across in the confessional. And again, it goes back to the things we're talking about. Is that holy hour? Is that prioritization? Because then Christ manifests more and more profoundly in your friendship with Christ, manifests more and more profoundly. And people are drawn. They're drawn because you can feed them in a way that only Christ can feed people, and that is, I would, I would hope, one of the glories of being a priest uh, for our Lord. Now, bringing it full circle, the final saint that I want to um, invite into is uh, Saint John Paul the Great, right? Saint John Paul the Second. And where does he come in? Well, Saint John Paul the Second obviously like cultivates through all of these you know these saints, and obviously he was even a friend to Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and he canonized more people um, during his time as Pope than any Pope prior, because I think he wanted to reflect the call universally to holiness. But one of the things that John Paul II did is that he formed community, right? So in the fourth dimension, or I'm sorry, the, the, the third dimension of all this, right? So we started out with humility, right? There's a humility, right, as it Philip Neary, through gratitude, right, this practice of cultivation of humility and gratitude. Understanding our giftedness, understanding our responsibility to ourself. And then, as we talked about with Mother Teresa of Calcutta, there is a need, right? There is a need now for, um, you know, uh, prioritization of ourself to... You know, make sure we unify the the spirit and the body and the mind, and to take care of the the being that we are. You know, because if we do not take care of ourselves, we cannot accurately so- serve God the way we need to. And a component of that unification is to develop a personal prayer life that allows us to increasingly depend on God and have Him appear and us disappear. Our life essentially has to, you know, no longer be about us, but be about him. As we saw with John Vianney, right, who was, you know, bringing Christ in the confessional and bringing Christ in every waking part that people saw, you know. But John Paul II brings us, you know, from this unity, right, you know, from, through humility, and then through the unity brings forth this community, this ability to draw people you know you know in service to one another and to figure out how to take responsibility for the difficulties in front of us to look for ways to take responsibility how do we make a difference how do we make a difference in the situation that we're faced with can we carry our cross can we take responsibility as jesus says and so where you are in your priesthood whether you're in a different parish now or you've Lost your title, or been removed from pastorship, or your 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 um uh, congregation, your parishioners are upset. They're upset with you, or they're upset with your bishop, or if you're the bishop, they're upset with you. You know this this whole idea of you know going to prayer and asking our Lord, what is it that is my responsible, uh, what is the, the my, my my responsibility right now? How do I do what is loving and responsible? and to do what pleases God. And that allows us to practice the gospel. And, you know, because the gospel in many ways, there is no competition. You know, John Paul II does not compete. He does not compete with his contemporaries. He did not compete with communism. When the wall came down, which many people were shocked by, it was he, in many ways, that, you you know, was able to arrange for that by creating community, communities of love, in in, in, uh, in those places where there was communism, independence on the government, independence on the self and uh, great evil, right and, but what he sowed there was love and then he reaped love and the wall came down. And so we want community. Community is establish, establishes our, back our humanity and looking for a way to make a difference in the pain and how can I make a difference? And so, when we make a difference, when we take responsibility, it produces meaning, and meaning helps us to tolerate suffering from a psychological dimension. I mean, and so we want to be looking for ways to be useful, looking for ways to make a difference. Um, but we need to remember the audience is not a person in the sense of you know the the parishioner who gave the most money at church, or the bishop, or the pope. All of these people God asks us to love, but we have to figure out with our own prayer life, you know, how do we love these people in a responsible way? How do we please the audience that is God so that we arrive at the end of our life like the saints he created us to be? And there will be saints, right? Even if we, uh, you know, even if we struggle, right? My brother had this analogy years ago that I thought was fantastic, which was that, it's as if God is on a tandem bike with humanity and he's in the front and we're in the back. You know. And even though Christ is, is pedaling and we have stopped pedaling or we've fallen asleep, he's going to continue to pedal all the same because he knows where he's going and he's not going to stop. The Spirit of God is alive in the world and there will be holiness again. There will be holiness and you know, because that's what God wills there to be and people will acknowledge him and the people that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that want a personal relationship that you know want a heroic relationship with our lord they will persevere. John Paul II said I do believe in the early 90s, you know, he's quoted as saying that the only people to remain as as Christians in the in the future will be mystics. And mystics meaning that they will be the people that have a personal relationship an operating relationship with the person of Jesus Christ that he informs their thoughts and their behaviors and their words and so let us be about those things and so if you've listened up to this point I'm grateful for that and I I hope that this is helpful again my my, my goal in sharing this with you all today is to draw you to holy men and women that have gone through difficulties that are with you know with you know with with our Lord that have ran the race well pray for their intercession and 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 to draw people back to jesus christ because there is no consolation in this life outside of jesus christ there is no running away you can't run away there is no changing everything because again you can't change what is permanent and what god has made god has made so we are you know, again, you know, we, we, we need to be able to understand that we were made for him and realize that, you know, we, we, we need to be you know, working to console him. There's no running off to relationships. There's no abandoning our posts. To be irresponsible is to invite anxiety and panic and fear into our lives. Christ asks us to stand firm and to take responsibility and realize that he'll give us the grace to, to, to complete whatever the task is and there will be, you know, now more than in many ways, there's been other times, but, you know, now there seems to be a ripe opportunity for holiness because there is op- opportunity for discouragement and temptation, and distraction and despair. So I encourage you, you know, you know please, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, direct people to uh, the invisible, direct people to our Lord um, and uh, remember who the audience is. And, and I, I will continue to pray for you, and please pray for me. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you've enjoyed the show, I encourage you to please share this with other people in your life, especially the priests and bishops that you know, to draw encouragement. And refocus the conversation on relationship with Jesus Christ, the only source of consolation.